Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Live Well Bipolar podcast. I am joined with an amazing guest. I am not alone this week, and this is somebody that I talked with before. I actually interviewed her previously a, a little over a year ago. It was episode 135. I can link it in the show notes for you guys, but the reason I wanted to have this conversation with this person we got here, and let me tell you, so who is this? Bonnie, she is the CEO of the Imperfect Human LLC, a mental health and performance coach at the Imperfect Human LLC, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt, and a master social worker in training. And she is joining us today to talk about a topic that I told her right before I hit record. I was like, I feel like you are calling me out and speaking to me right now, and we need to get into this. So Bonnie, take it away. Tell the people who you are, what you do, and what we're going to be diving into today. Yes, it's so good to be back. Thank you, Paris, so much for having me. It was so, our last conversation was so much fun. And I'm just really excited to dive into things this time and give the people what they want. Yes. And one of those things, you guys, as we were talking a little bit before this, is since we were last speaking, something that Bonnie got into that's new is her master's program. So she's working on that. I know we talk a little bit back and forth over Instagram about that. And also she's going to be giving us a little more insight into a topic called having radical belief in oneself. What does that mean? Why is it important to our journeys with mental health? So yeah, tell us a little bit about your transition here. Cause I know last time we talked about self-acceptance and the meaning behind that, how that kind of came about for you, but now you're in this new stage right now, going through that master's program. So walk us through, if you want to get into a little bit about that and how that really ties in with what does it look like and why is it important to have that radical belief in yourself? Right. Yeah. So I feel like radical belief in oneself is the next step right after radical self-acceptance. And I always tag radical onto this because I want people to understand that it's rebellious, right? Accept the things that people don't want you to accept about yourself, like maybe your mental illness diagnosis, or even just the spooky, scary symptoms that come with it, right? Um, so when I say radical belief in oneself, I mean, when you think that the whole world is against you, you know, I know when I got my diagnosis and maybe this will resonate for a lot of people, um, I felt like I wasn't supposed to get better. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, something in me felt that. And I felt like other people were looking at me like, oh, she's broken. That's it. Like she's, you know, she's this thing now. And I had this radical belief in myself that no. I'm, I'm not the stereotype. I will not be the stereotype of what has been sold out here. Um, and another topic we'll talk about is ableism, which is another piece of that radical belief in oneself. It's believing you're in yourself when nobody else wants you to. That really resonates with me as I feel the same way when you say getting your diagnosis and having that belief of, you know, not supposed to get better. And that's something that I've, I've seen that I've experienced for a number of years. But then also, how do we tackle what this means when we do it to ourselves, when we kind of accept it and internalize that and not really give ourselves the chance or the opportunity to discover what it could look like on the other side of something that you mentioned of what are those available resources? How do we tackle that? How do we get over that? And what does that look like? What does that look like for you? And how has that looked for you this year? 
Ooh, that's a good question. And this has been a spicy year for me. So that's a fun question to answer. Um, so first, I think that it all starts, you know, I mentioned tackling that internalized ableism. And I think that's really what it is when you have a mental illness, um, that that's a disability, right? And I think registering that this is a disability, this is something that heavily affects my day-to-day -day life. Um, disability to me is an important statement to be able to lean into those available resources like you were just talking about. Um, for me, radical belief in oneself was when I, um, I just up and applied for a master's program for a graduate program. Um, and this girl a year ago when we spoke that I don't think that was on the radar. Mm -hmm. uh, that was radical belief in oneself. Um, tackling my internalized ableism looked like uh, getting my accommodations, you know, talking to my psychiatrist and my therapist and getting my accommodations through school to ensure that it's in my capacity. Mm -hmm. You talk about applying for that master's program. And I, I don't remember that when we talked last year. So I love that you talk about being able to go for something like that and really being able to see what you want to do and why you want to do this. But then also, like you mentioned, getting the accommodations and not keeping that stigma on yourself and internalizing it and having that barrier of this is a disability. Living with bipolar disorder is a disability, but no, it's not. I don't believe it. I'm not going to say it like that, but really being able to say that there are so many challenges that we have, but really what can I do to set myself up for success, to be able to crush this program and really give yourself the, the most benefit to do that, but then also how you serve your clients and show up for them. And I think that's something that can be a challenge for people, right? So maybe some people listening, either they're sitting there thinking, oh, I'd love to apply for a master's program, or even if they're talking about any kind of graduate school or college in general, or even just at work, if they're wanting to ask for accommodations or start that conversation, what would you say to someone in that first step of how do I even do that? Oh, I love this question because I wish I had heard someone have this conversation. Uh, the first step is definitely build up that support system. You're going to need people in your corner and it, it they don't have to be the most educated people. It can just be friends and family to start out with. And then slowly, I, I think a great first step if you're going to go into the professional realm is to get a psychiatrist, you know, have a therapist that you see regularly. And that's where you're going to get your, um, that that's the key to the lock to getting your accommodations. It opens up a lot of doors, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And especially like you're saying, where do you even start? Where do you even start to, when it comes down to your support system, psychiatrist, therapist, who's able to help you advocate and figure out what exactly is it that you feel that you need support in to be able to have success in that area. Cause I think that's, that's huge. And that's something that I know I've definitely, struggled with and had so many periods in my time where I'm like, I don't want to share this either at work or in school. I don't know how to ask about it. I don't know how to do these things. So being able to have what you've been able to put together, I think is helpful. What does that look like for you? How are you able to develop this going from the radical self-acceptance piece to the radical belief in yourself? How are you able to develop that and then maintain that on the days where it seems like too much. 
I love these questions. These are amazing. <laughs> um, so I mentioned start with your friends and family first, the people you already know in your support system. And that's where I started. So first, when you have that radical self-acceptance and you start living in your authenticity, people find you, your people find you. Um, you don't have to go out and necessarily find them. Just being yourself it radiates something into the world and your people will find you. And when your people find you, you you're going to have a radical belief in yourself because they're going to radically believe in you. Like I had a friend who's in social work. She's a licensed master social worker or a um, licensed clinical social worker now. And she was just like, nah, girl, you got this. Like, go for it. Go for it. Keep going. You know, uh, mm -hmm. write the paper, submit it, get, get the references you need to. And she just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And it was like, I didn't have a choice, but to believe in myself really. And then once I did that, I was like, oh, wow, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. I love that you first mentioned how it starts with the people around you. Cause I feel like for me hearing you share that really resonates because I feel like that's really what I had to do to even do this podcast. It, it came down to the people that I had around me who we're encouraging, we're pushing you for me to even have the belief in myself. And I love that breakdown of you talk about your friend and then telling you, look, apply for it, get the resources, do the thing you can do it. And, and it takes sometimes for me hearing you say that having another person in our corner who sees that thing in us that we kind of see, we kind of think we can do it, but we're not like hundred percent yet. So really having that push, because I'd love to kind of talk about that, right? So that transition from having that encouragement, starting out with the radical self-acceptance and then getting into having that belief in yourself that you can do this thing that you've already been doing. You've already been working in this area with the program that you're in right now for the master's. What are you hoping to take away from this program to translate into the work that you do um, with the imperfect human now? Oh, these questions are amazing. <laughs> um, I, there's so much, right? So going into a social work program, I wanted to be a trauma-informed life coach or mental health and performance coach, but life coach. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, that was the goal. Uh, the program that I'm in has given me so much more. Um, so, so much more. I'm leaving this program with so much more than I came in wanting from it. And I'm so thankful. And it's only the first semester. Mm -hmm. um, now my program focuses a lot on social justice work. So the whole disability conversation is a big one that I've really um, had the opportunity to dive deeper into. I won't say deep because the water is very deep in that topic, but I have, you know, um, I've learned a lot just from being in this program so far regarding the different things that I navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And I love how you mentioned just the fact that you've been able to already take away more than you thought that you would get out and you're in the first semester. And I remember we were actually talking and you were like, this is my first day, or I have my first day this week. And we were talking about it and just being able to see you equip yourself with something that you had going into it. Like, I really want to get this out so I can be able to give this to the people that I'm working with. Being a trauma-informed performance coach, helping these people in these areas, getting more resources and really just furthering your education and really putting yourself in a position where you can learn more about this. And I love that you mentioned the social justice piece in disability and being able to tie that in because I know that that's something that 
not too many people have the the resources or the knowledge, or they don't even know where to find that or how to see about putting that together to, to learn more about these things too. So, and also I know I didn't ask you about this, but because I know I probably did on the last episode that we recorded together, but has there been any changes since we last spoke or over the past year that you've made to the imperfect human? Cause I know I saw you do, do a nice rebrand. So I want to ask you too, on the messaging or the focus, how has that shifted since you first decided to start this and really what was your purpose in doing it? Yeah. So the imperfect human started as a hypomanic project. And I think probably both of us and a lot of people listening to this have been there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it didn't really have a goal except to make me want to keep living. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the initial goal of the imperfect human. My, you know, I wasn't in therapy yet. I only had a psychiatrist and she was like, you need to find something girl. Um, And that's what, that's where the imperfect human started back in uh, 2020 when I first thought of it. Um, now though, obviously with this focus on, you know, it was always about mental health, but now it's really a focus on social justice and equity across the board and how not only can I, um, make the world a better place for myself, but make the world a better place for other people and not just make the world a better place, but make me a better person for other people too. And myself, Mm -hmm. Uh, that it's just, it goes so deep Paris. It goes so Mm -hmm. deep. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you talk about starting this and you say this started out as a hypomanic project, right? That I know, and I know that that's something that I was like, okay, I can relate to that too. And you talk about your psychiatrist saying, look, like you need to find something to, to pour into this or what, however it is. And you talk about starting this in 2020. And so for, from the first time that you started this in 2020, has there been anything that helped you grow that you maybe didn't expect? I, I found a community. I think I always say that when people ask me questions about growing, I'm like, Oh, it's, I found people. I found this, I found that, but I did, I found the imperfect human brought me to before it was even the imperfect human LLC when it was just at the diet imperfect diet human on Instagram. It, I found all these other people living with bipolar and I was like, oh my goodness, look at these people thriving. And, and even if they weren't thriving, I was like, wow, look at these people experiencing things that I'm experiencing. And like, this stuff is hard. It's so, and anyone living with bipolar knows how hard it is to keep living with it. So seeing other people going through the ebb and flow of living with bipolar and all of us still collectively working together to survive, I just think was, it just kept my little heart beaten. Oh my gosh. And that makes me so happy because that's one of the ways that we were able to connect. And I feel like it goes back to you started this. And if you hadn't started this in the way that you did and put it out there, and if I hadn't either, I don't know if we've been able to connect in the way that we did to really be able to come out and share what you've been working on, share these experiences, because something that sticks out to me and what you were saying is back to the point of something you mentioned is curating your support network. So can you talk to me about how do you do that and why do you need to have a support network? Yeah. So, um, how do you do that? What's more important, the how or the why both, Mm -hmm. how you do that is 
complicated because there is a tinge of, and I wouldn't have known this before starting my program, there's a tinge of privilege in being able to choose your healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets that privilege. So when I say curate your support system, that's what I'm referring to is really being picky about who you allow on your healthcare team. Sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes we have to know how to advocate for ourselves. And maybe it looks like having friends and family who support us in doing that. Or it does look like finding, you know, even a shameless plug, a social worker to support us um, in finding the words to advocate for ourselves if we are unable to actually curate that support system. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be an active member in our recovery or maintenance of whatever we're going through. Um, why is it important? Why is it not important? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we are social creatures, right? My bachelor's degree was in psychology and we're social creatures. If there's one thing I learned from that, the six years I was in my undergrad, um, it is that we need each other. Mm-hmm. Humans need each other, but we got to be picky about who we let in too. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. I like how you break down the two aspects of that, right? When you answer the how question, how to do it. And then the why question, because it really reminds me of myself when I went through my hospitalization, then I went back and I worked at that same place. And I, I saw what you were talking about, right? Unless you've been around this or either you've experienced it yourself, whether you have a diagnosis of bipolar or you have someone close to you that you care for who does what I've come to know is people who don't have that, they don't understand what goes into the work of, of how to curate your support network, like you're saying. So I would see that when I would go back there. And I remember having so many different people that I would meet with and talk to, and they would share with me, look, like I have so many obstacles in front of me, so many barriers. They'd say, look, I don't have insurance, or I'm just trying to survive right now. I, I got to work with people who talked to me and said, look, like I've been struggling with addiction. I just came out of this treatment center. I'm trying to find somewhere to live now. I'm trying to do this. Everyone's in different places with their journeys. But I think that what you're saying is you do have the ability to be picky and choose who and what you want to let into your life in terms of that recovery and healing process. And that's really what I think is amazing because I feel like for me, I really didn't learn that. I was never taught that. I did not learn that myself. Like when I was court ordered, when I was diagnosed SMI, bipolar one, go out here to this clinic, here's your caseworker, um, all these kind of things. I didn't think I could say, oh, I want to do this, or I can, you know, learn about these resources. So being able to have that and give that back to people, I think is huge because that goes back to the point that you talked about earlier, uh, which I really, really like is tackling internalized ableism. Because for you guys who don't know, we talk about this prejudice and discrimination aimed at disabled people. And it's talking about thinking that they should cure their disability, make them normal and and not really seeing it as that. So I feel like I've definitely had that experience myself in different job settings. I felt that way myself when I was in my master's program. So I'd like to ask you in terms of overcoming that along with the resources that people can have access to, if they're saying, Hey, there's all these obstacles. What are some of those available resources that people can lean into? Ooh, that is a good question. I wish I had compiled a really solid list um, before before meeting with you so that I would have 
Um, a resource that for all things mental health, and if you're looking at starting your support team of professionals, I would always go to psychologytoday.com because it's it's simple and easy to search by your, if you have insurance, you can search by your insurance, you can search by the condition, if you have a diagnosis. Um, there's so many different filters that you can use on there. And that's just, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of universal. Like any, anyone can use it in any area. It's going to find something in your area around you, virtual, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I'm not, I'm not sure what it looks like. So I, when I, when I graduate as a social worker, I will be working in private practice. And I want to always recommend people reach out to someone who has their MSW master social worker or their LMSW licensed master social worker, a, a licensed something social worker um, in situations like that. Because that, from my understanding, being in school, what you're asking and what, what so many people need is exactly what we're being trained to do. Mm-hmm. But I also hear so many people saying that it's not readily available. And I don't understand how there's a whole cohort of us being trained to do these things. And still there's, there's no one to, you, you can't go to someone and say, hi, I, I need mental health care. Can you please help me find some body? I, I have no money. I, you know, don't have insurance, but I desperately need mental health care, or I'm afraid something bad is going to happen. There's nobody that you can really go to for that without having some, some sort of privilege. But I I think that's, that's a big issue right there that I'm, I'm a little torn about being in school, like that should be a resource. I don't have the information to give somebody so that they could have that resource, but it should be available. Mm-hmm. I like how you break that down too. And literally what you mentioned, psychologytoday.com, that's where I went to find my therapist that I've been with for a few years now. And there's many people that I've told that as well. And they've been able to find people on there as well. But I like how you're able to break down the fact that you're in this program right now, you're learning these things to be able to give more of these things to the people that you're working with. Because I feel like for me, that's something that I think is important, especially when we're talking about any kind of resources and also the aspect that comes into play when we're talking about privilege. And that's something that I feel like for me, when I was hospitalized, when I went through what I went through with my diagnosis coming out of it, I was lucky to have a family and people that around me who I could at the time, I didn't feel comfortable, but have them in my corner and have the ability to even go to this. I can go to a therapist. I'm obviously I was court ordered. So it's not like I have a choice, but going to that. And when it comes down to medications and all these different things, I was able to do that, but not everyone is if you're choosing it, right? Unless you're literally taken to a facility, you are put somewhere and this is it. But if you're out here and you're searching and, Hey, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't have these things, right? I don't have insurance. I don't have these things. I don't. And I feel like I'm everything stacked against me. What can I do? I love that you talk about getting more out of this program than you thought you would going into it. 
And you talk about reaching out to people who have the, the backing with this, right? Licensed social workers, and you're building up that network of people who are able to continue to invest in this and learn and, and continue to grow together. Cause I feel like that's really what we can continue to do is just learn about more things that we don't know about that are out there that people can have access to and start doing the work and figure out where they need support. Where do you need support? Where do you feel stuck? What does that awareness and level of it even look like? And I know this year you mentioned being very busy and having a lot of different things going on as well. And I also know that we are recording this, you guys in October, and this is also Bonnie's birthday month. So I know that that's exciting too. And all the changes, all the things that are going on with the different things that we've had since we last got to speak. I'd love to ask you, because I'm sure your answer this time is different than when we previously recorded, because I don't know if I got to ask you this question, but since this podcast is live well bipolar, I would love for you to tell me what does it mean to you right now, where you are in your life, when it comes down to what it looks like for you to live well bipolar. Oh boy. Um, to live well bipolar to me is, uh, it, it looks like being very open and authentic. It looks like living in my, my values, which authenticity is one of my values. So it looks like being my open, honest self. And I'm, I'm very quick. If you meet me out on the street, I'll talk to you for a couple of minutes. And within those couple of minutes, you're going to learn that I have bipolar disorder. Um, I am so stinking proud of it because I am so lucky to have all of these resources at my disposal to do all of these amazing things with. So I, I love meeting people and kind of, you know, like having the neurodivergent kind of wackiness to me, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, being this, so I'm fun, right? But I'm also this master student and I take things very seriously and I care about what I'm doing. And I think I bring those two worlds together. And I think in a way that's kind of like the, the two faces of bipolar, the bi and bipolar, you know, I think that, um, I don't know, live well bipolar to me is just embodying my version of bipolar. So I think it's different for everybody. What it is, what it means for me is not what it's going to mean for anybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly what I love is how you really break that down of living in your open, authentic self. And especially the way that you described that, right. The, what is the bi and bipolar, the two sides, the two faces of having these two sides to yourself of you talk about being able to break that down and not being afraid of it anymore. And, and talking openly about having bipolar, the diagnosis and what that's done. And then going after this that you're doing right now, being in this master's program. And like you said, you had that friend and that person who was in your corner and and was pushing you and and having that support for you to not only have that radical self-acceptance, but then translate into that belief in yourself that you can do these things. So I feel like this is something that really resonates with me because I know before we were talking about this episode, we talk about radical belief in oneself. Something that you taught me from this conversation is just for myself with having such a busy year, having that radical belief in oneself that you are deserving of these opportunities. You deserve to be in that master's program. You deserve to be working with the clients that you are and not continuing to tell ourselves that we are not because of bipolar. And I love that you talk about being so proud of that and always willing to learn more and put yourself out there to be able to understand how can I continue to be better myself and help other people in that same way. So I love 
our conversations. I love whenever we get to have the time to chat. So I just, I really want to thank you, Bonnie, for taking the time to come out here and really break down so many of these different topics with us. And I will be sure to put her information in the show notes for you guys, her Instagram, everything will be down there. And I highly encourage you guys to go and check out her page, um, follow her, support her and really see her work because she's doing amazing things and always has even since before we connected last year. So thank you, Bonnie, so much for coming out. I, I always love whenever we have the time to talk with each other. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Paris. It was great. It really was great. And to everyone out there, radical belief in yourself. A hundred percent. And you guys, thank you so much for making the time as well to tune into this conversation. And really, if you have the time to, I go back and check out the other episode that I did with Bonnie. I'll have it linked as well. Episode 135, where that was the first time we got to uh, connect and have our conversation, but thank you so much for tuning in, being here and wanting to listen to these stories and conversations to learn more about your experience with bipolar or give those resources to someone that you care for and love. So I appreciate you guys. And until next time, I'm going to say bye and say bye to Bonnie. So bye, Bonnie. Bye, guys.